Um, today we're bringing to a conclusion this section where uh, Jesus sends out the disciples to engage uh, in the mission. And this section started back in chapter 9, uh, verse 35. Today we're going to be in chapter 10 looking at verses 40 to 42. Uh, but this section started back in chapter 9 and verse 35. And Jesus gives his disciples the pretense of the mission. Uh, and the pretense of the mission is that there's a harvest to be had uh, and there are workers needed in order to reap uh, this harvest. And so you can imagine as, as a good Christian, Jesus telling his disciples, okay, there's, there's work to be done, there's needs to be done. And uh, probably like many of you, when we stand up here and say there are these needs, many of you think, oh, I'll, I'll pray about that. I'll pray for that. Pray that somebody will step up to do it. Uh, well, then Jesus, as we come into chapter 10, uh, reveals to his disciples that the players of the mission are actually them. <laughs> so they don't, they don't get off the hook by saying, oh, we'll, we'll pray for workers. Jesus says, no, it, it's actually going to be you, right? That, that we're sending you uh, out into this mission. Uh, and then uh, as we get into chapter 10, verse 16, he gives them the probability of the mission. You, you notice my alliteration here. I worked hard at, at having a lot of P words here. So uh, the pretense, the players, the probability of the mission is that it's going to be impossible. Um, yay team, right? Um, everybody ready to go out into this impossible mission uh, that's going to be difficult. Matter of fact, it's going to be so difficult, Jesus likens it to sending his disciples out as sheep among the wolves. So basically going to send the bottom of the food chain out to evangelize the top of the food chain, and you can imagine how that might go. Um, and so you can imagine that the disciples are super excited about this possibility, right? Now, this is not an impossible mission because of who is sending us on the mission, right? And so Jesus, if we fast forward to the end of Matthew's gospel in Matthew 28, Jesus tells us at the very end that, that all authority belongs to him everywhere in heaven and on earth. Uh, and then he tells them to, to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded, uh, and that he will be with them until the end of the age. And so that's what takes this impossible mission and makes it possible, is that the, the sender uh, who owns everything and has all authority everywhere and promises to be with his disciples as they engage in this impossible mission. Uh, and then as we keep trucking through chapter 10, we get to verse 26, uh, and the presumption of the mission is that there's going to be fear involved in this mission. And Jesus reminds his disciples, fear, fear God, not people, right? Fe fear God, the one who, who does own everything, the one who has all authority, the one who controls everything, the one who's sovereign over all, the one who orders everything, fear, fear him rather than uh, mankind or what people uh, could do to you. And then we get into the price of the mission in chapter 10, verse 34, and the price of the mission is division, right? As we engage as Christians uh, on this mission that God has given us, and, and really what is the mission? The mission is the proclamation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The, the mission is, is to deliver a message to a lost and dying world as we sung about this morning, and the price of that is going to come with division and difficulty. It's going to come with division among family members, even to the point, the Bible tells us, of, of family members killing family members, dividing over the gospel. Now, that's, that's some pretty serious skin in the game at that point. <laughs> but it's the price of the mission. And we lived in, in a place here in, in the West, here in, in America, where we haven't had to incur much of a cost to engage in the mission of Christ. 
but we can see that the tide is turning in our culture and, and the cost is becoming kind of a reality. Now, we're not to the point in our culture where maybe a family member would kill another family member because they're offended at the gospel. But that certainly happens, right, in, in other parts of the world. Certainly can happen here. We, we might not argue that, that we would be on that trajectory where what once uh, was not a hostile message to our culture is becoming more and more hostile, and our culture is becoming more hostile towards the message of Christ than it used to be. Right? It wasn't that long ago where um, you know, it was just common for people to grow up in the church. I, I grew up in the church. Um, and kind of my generation, a lot of people in my generation, a lot of my friends uh, also grew up in the church. But, you know, people younger than me, uh, it, it's less and less common to have grown up in the church. And there's more hostility towards this message that says that you have a need outside of yourself that you're unable to fix apart from Christ. And so there's a price to the mission. But what we're going to see today is there's also a payout to the mission. Right? There's a reward in the mission that makes it worth it. And as we jump into Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 40, let's read, and it says this. It says, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so we're going to unpack today what Jesus is saying here in rewards, but rest assured that there is a reward to engaging in the mission. And maybe a way that we can understand this reward, so some of you uh, made a decision long ago in your life uh, on a career path, whatever that career path was. You decided either this is something that you like to do, or maybe it's something that you don't like to do so much, but the payout of it is really good, and it's going to provide a good living and a good retirement. And somewhere for all of us in our life, we've decided whatever career path we're on, that it's worth it. It's worth it to work 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week or 60 hours a week in some cases because of, of where you're headed, because of the payout of that, because of the reward, right? We, we've all made that decision, and Jesus is showing us here today that there's actually a reward to this difficult, seemingly impossible mission that comes uh, with a lot of skin in the game for those who engage in the mission, and it comes at potentially a very high cost. And so he talks about in verse 40 and 41 the reward uh, for whoever receives him, receives him who sent him. There's the reward of the prophet and the reward of the righteous man. And I think really in three different ways, Jesus is saying kind of the same thing here. So whoever receives you, the disciple of Christ, the follower of Christ, receives him who sent Christ, which is the Father. Whoever receives the prophet, because he's a prophet, receives the prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous man, because he's a righteous man, receives the reward of the righteous man. And so it kind of begs the question right out of the gate, what's the reward, right? What, what, what's in it for me? What, what is the reward? What am I gaining by engaging in this difficult thing that Christ is asking of us? We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, the famous chapter of the Bible about faith, that without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, the writer says, must believe first that He exists and second that He rewards those who seek Him. So part of our faith, part of the Christian faith is a belief 
and not a blind belief, but a belief, uh, a conviction, if you will, that in the end it's going to be worth it, that in the end there is a reward, right? And so, again, it begs the question, what is this reward? The Sunday school answer, of course, is the reward is Jesus, right? Jesus is the reward, and eternity is our conviction, the Christian belief that we would spend eternity with Christ in His presence. And we can't fathom eternity. As finite beings, we can't fathom the infinite. We're, we're just, we're not capable of it. It's impossible for us as finite beings to wrap our minds fully around eternity. We think of eternity as like maybe from this point forward, but also think of eternity from this point backwards if you really want to blow your mind. Like, <laughs> what, what in the world? We can't, we can't fathom it. We can't fathom it, but the Bible tells us that the reward of the Christian is eternity with Christ. Now, the other side of that, like, like we're all eternal beings, the Bible tells us, right? We're created for eternity, and the Christian belief is that we would spend eternity either with Christ or without Christ, right? Heaven or hell, like those are the options for everybody. Those are the options, and so without faith, it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe First, that He exists, but it's not enough to believe that God exists. The Bible tells us that the demons believe that God exists. So it's not enough just to believe that, that God is somewhere out there and that He exists. If you, if you poll most people, they would probably have some kind of belief in a God that does exist. That, that trend is changing, but still maybe a majority of people would believe in some, some kind of God, some kind of higher power that exists, but it's not enough the Christian belief is also that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And so when Jesus is talking about receiving Him who sent me, He's talking about receiving the message that the disciples have been tasked and, and that you and I have been tasked with taking out into the world, right? Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus said that more than just about anything that He said. The kingdom of God is near. And so the reward for, for him who receives the messenger receives the one who sent him. So as we go out into the world, tasked with proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, tasked with taking the message, not everybody's going to receive the message, but some, some people will. Some people receive the message. The, the odds don't look good. Right? If, we, if we just ran the odds, probably less people are going to receive the message but that's okay. This is part of God's plan. And for those who do receive the message, ultimately Jesus is saying they, they receive Christ. They receive the message of Christ. They receive Christ. If they receive a prophet, then they get the prophet's reward. And I don't think Jesus has in view here the Old Testament prophet necessarily, but, but if you think for a moment about the job of the Old Testament prophet, what did they do? They went from place to place generally delivering bad news, right? generally delivering news to the people that, that they've gone off the rails and that they need to turn back to God. Not a popular message. Being an Old Testament prophet was a, was a pretty rough gig. Some people received the message of the Old Testament prophet. Not everybody received the message of the Old Testament prophet. The New Testament, we have, we have the gift of prophecy, which I think the gift of prophecy is a gift of being able to proclaim 
the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just like in the Old Testament, some people are going to receive the message and some people aren't going to receive the message. But to those who do receive the message, they receive the reward of the prophet who is in the employ of God. And so again, the reward is God Himself. The same thing with whoever receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. Now, we, we know that the Bible tells us that, that nobody's righteous. Right? For the Christian, our, our belief is that our righteousness comes from outside of us. It's an alien righteousness. Right? It's, it's something that's not inherent or innate within us. It comes from outside of us. And, and for the follower of Christ, our righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. It's imputed to us because of what Christ has done on the cross and, and our faith and our belief as part of the reward right? that, that we receive in following Christ is that we get a righteousness that's not our own. And what Jesus is saying here is whoever receives a righteous man, in other words, whoever receives a follower of Christ because he is a follower of Christ, in essence, is receiving the message of Christ. And whoever receives the message of Christ gets the righteous man's reward. In other words, gets the imputation of a righteousness that's foreign to them. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we take the message of the cross, we take it on faith. The Bible tells us our faith doesn't even come from within us. Like, we, I don't have faith in me. You don't have faith in you. Our faith is granted to us by God Himself. So God even does that part for us. And we, we take the message of the cross on faith that God exists and that, that His existence leads to a reward for those who would follow Him and submit to Him. Are you tracking with me so far? This is good news. This is starting to make the mission look maybe a little bit worth it. This is starting to take this impossible, difficult mission that comes potentially at a high cost to those who engage in it and say, okay, this, this might just be worth it. This might be worth it to engage in this mission. And so this is one group of people that Jesus is talking about in verses 40 to 41. But then we get to verse 42, and Jesus seems to take a little bit of a left turn here. It says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And my first question is, where did these little ones come from? We haven't seen them up until now. And Jesus all of a sudden references these, these little ones that seemingly come out of nowhere. In the first two verses, 40 and 41, Jesus is talking about a reward for those who receive the message, the reward for those who are evangelized, right? Those who are proclaimed to them the message of the gospel, and they take it on faith. But then we get to verse 42, and it seems like Jesus is talking about maybe for the workers, there's a reward as well, for the workers of the mission. And really, the reward is the same thing. I don't think he's talking about two different rewards. I think he's talking maybe about two different groups of people, but the same reward. And so whoever does something as simple as giving a cup of cold water to a little one, to someone who can't repay them, to someone who can't do anything for them, whoever does something for somebody without expectation of reward will not lose his reward if he's doing so because he is a disciple of Christ. So in other words, if, if we're acting in faith that God exists and that he rewards those who follow him, we're not going to miss out on the reward. 
I was scrolling my social media feed a couple of weeks ago, and I came across this quote from uh, a person who, uh, this wasn't a reference to it, it wasn't a religious quote or anything like that, just, just some guy quipping, and, and he says this, he says that man is happiest when he's making himself and the world around him better. Create something of your own. It doesn't matter what, it just matters that it's yours. An irony of life, filling yourself through consumption makes you empty, and emptying yourself through creation makes you full. This guy wasn't talking about his faith at all. Just, just an observation um, from a guy, as far as I can tell, maybe uh, doesn't have any sort of religious belief at all. And, and I think he's partially on to something here in what he's saying. He's on to something when he says that man or, or mankind, humanity, is happiest when we're making the world around us better. Now, our goal as Christians isn't necessarily to make the world better um, as a primary goal, but I do hope that the world is better because Christians are in it, right? The world should be better um, because of the presence of those who follow Christ. And then he talks about creating something of our own. It doesn't matter what, just that it's yours. And I don't, I don't know that I totally follow him in this idea of creating something, although it's good to create, right? God is a creator, and as image bearers of God, we create because the one whose image we bear is a creator, right? That, that's part of our um, uh, Imago Dei. But then he talks about this irony of life, and this is where I think he's really on to something. Filling yourself through consumption makes you empty. Our, our default as human beings, I think, is to consume, right? What can I get out of life? We work so that we can consume. We, we work so that we can have, and, and I'm, not, I'm not knocking anybody for, like, there's just, like, we've we got to have food, and we've got to have shelter, and we've got to have vehicles, and we've got to have clothes to wear, and those kinds of things, but, but we can take it to the extreme where it's just all about, you know, feeding an appetite, and we're trying to get out of life anything and everything that we can. And what this man is saying is that when you live that way, um, filling yourself through consumption at the end of the day, it's going to make you empty. And I, and I think I agree with him on that. I think the Bible would agree with him on that. Emptying yourself, he says, through creation makes you full. I might take away creation and say emptying yourself through serving makes you full. I think the Bible would agree with that. I think that's sort of what Jesus might be getting at here when he talks about giving a cup of water to a little one and doing so because he's a follower of Christ, right? Serving someone who can't serve you back, doing for someone that can't do for you. There's something about it, there's an irony of it that emptying ourselves somehow fills us, somehow fills us, and this might just be by God's good design. Maybe an example of this, going back to Hebrews chapter 11, Again, the famous passage on faith. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about people like Moses and people like Noah, and like Abraham and Isaac, and kind of names that if you've been in church for a while, you, you probably have heard these names come up and you probably are somewhat familiar with their stories. And it commends them for their faith. But then there's also another group of people in Hebrews 11 whose names that we don't know that were told things didn't go so well for them. Right? Some of them got sawn in two for their faith, and some of them died for their faith. And, and of those people, the names that we don't know, we're told that the world isn't even worthy to have had those people. But all of them, in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, 
not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. So we talk about all these people in Hebrews 11, the, the hall of fame, the faith, we might call it, the ones whose names that we know and did kind of big things in the name of God, and the ones whose names that we don't know and things didn't go so well, but also engaged in the mission. All of them, we're told, died in faith, having not received the things that were promised. All of these, their faith eventually in their death became sight, but while they were here on this earth, they didn't receive the reward for their faith. So they greeted the promise from afar, and they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. In other words, they acknowledged that they, didn't, they weren't living for this life. They didn't live for the here and now. This group of people didn't live to consume everything there is to consume and make the best of the here and the now. And then there's this interesting statement that says, for people who speak thus, for people who are not living for the here and the now and not living for this life, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They make it clear that, that this isn't their home. Part of the Christian belief is that, that our home, our true home, is yet to come. And these people, the writer of Hebrews tells us that if they were thinking about the here and the now, if they were thinking about the land from which they had gone out, they were thinking about today, they were thinking about right now, they would have had an opportunity to continue to consume. They would have had an opportunity to not live the difficult life they lived because of their faith in God. But as it was, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. And the desire for this heavenly country, our heavenly home, this desire for eternity was reflected in the way that they lived their life. It was reflected in the way that they served and that they engaged in the mission of God. It was reflected even for some in their, their death, their martyrdom, as they engaged in the mission of God. And as a result, the writer of Hebrews tells us, God is not ashamed to be called their God because He has prepared for them a heavenly city. Is there a greater reward that we could ask for than eternity with God? We're told in Ephesians chapter 2 that God plans to spend eternity pouring out His immeasurable richness in Christ to the Christian for all eternity. And I've said this before, but we, we can measure a lot of things in our world, but the Bible tells us we can't measure the, the richness of Christ. We just can't. Again, we're finite. He's infinite. Can't, we can't do it. And the eternal reward for the Christian is the richness of Christ being poured out on you in all eternity. Now, if you compare that in all of eternity with just the few years that we get on this earth and whatever we can consume in those few years, like there's no comparison. There's no comparison whatsoever. It makes me think of the missionary Jim Elliott. You might be somewhat familiar with Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott has this famous quote that says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He's no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
Well, that's a great quote by itself. But if you know a little bit about Jim Elliott's story, I was refreshing myself in the last couple of weeks on his story, and I didn't realize that he's actually from Portland, Oregon, so he's one of us. And, and he was a missionary back in the, in the 40s and the 50s, so a while, a while ago. And he had this desire to go to, uh, I think it was Peru, if I remember right, but uh, to this tribe of Indians that were unreached with the gospel of Christ. Uh, or Ecuador, I'm sorry, that's where he went, Ecuador. And he made these plans and made contact with this tribe. Uh, and it seemed like the contact with this tribe was going well, that maybe he was gaining inroads and through a kind of a series of um, just bad information, uh, this tribe came and attacked Jim Elliott and four other uh, people that were with him and killed him. Sad story. Had only been married to his wife for a few years, had a, a daughter, I think that was less than one year old when this happened. Um, and, and he was martyred on the mission field. They found his body in a river along with his other uh, four of the people that were with him. But the story doesn't end there. What would eventually end up happening is that his wife, Elizabeth, faced with a choice of just being bitter about how this mission went, the cost that she paid. Right, Her, her cost was the loss of her husband, the loss of the father to their daughter. What, what do you think that she did? How do you think she responded to this terrible tragedy? What she would end up doing is she would go back to this tribe of Indians and she would proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And today there's faith, this tribe of Ecuadorian Indians, because of what Elizabeth Elliot did. Because both her and her husband took the position that he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I, I would insert them, if, if I could, into Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Fame of Faith as just modern day, somebody that we can look at and say... <laughs> These people were living for a better land. They were living for the life to come. They understood that there's a reward, that it may be difficult here and now to engage in the mission of Christ, but there, there's a reward that's to come that far exceeds anything that this life has to offer. Nobody would have faulted Elizabeth Elliot for just going home after this happened and raising her daughter. Nobody would have faulted her for that. Matter of fact, I would imagine that there were people in her life telling her, like, you're about to do maybe the dumbest thing ever. Like, do you realize these people killed your husband? I don't know how these conversations went, but obviously this was a woman that had some resolve that this needed to happen. I mean, do yourself a favor and just, like, Google Jim and Elizabeth Elliot and read their story. There's lots written about them. It's an inspirational story. But, but I think their story brings home what we're trying to get at today. Going back to Matthew chapter 10 that Jesus says, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. We would look at the Elliots and say that, that Elizabeth Elliot and their daughter lost something in this life. and they, they certainly did. They lost a big thing in this life. But I have to believe that Jim and Elizabeth Elliot are in heaven right now together because they've received the reward, that they've gained that which they cannot lose. They lost something in this life, but they gained something in eternity that they will never lose. And so as we consider the mission, as we consider the reward, we consider why in the world would we engage in something difficult that God is calling us to engage in? It's because in the end, we, we have to deem that it's worth it. 
we're, we're hardwired just as human beings that, that we'll, we'll fight for whatever we deem to be worth it. We'll work hard for whatever we deem to be worth it. And I would ask you just to consider in your own life what, what things, what difficulties have you endured because you considered the end to be worth it. Whatever it is. But then I would ask you to consider in light of Christ, is eternity worth it? Is eternity worth engaging in the mission that God has put in front of us, understanding that it, that it might be tough? Is it worth it? Are you, like Jim Elliott, willing to give up what you cannot keep in order to gain that which you cannot lose? James 5.20 tells us, says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Do you ever think about why, why is it that Christians exist on the earth? I read a book once where somebody posed this question that why, why, do, why do Christians exist on the earth? And, and if you take out the mission passages of the Bible, if you take out the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, if you take out maybe this section that we've just looked at, take that out of the Bible. There's no reason for the Christian to exist on the earth. There's no reason that when we come to faith in Christ that we shouldn't just automatically be transported to heaven. Except the Great Commission type passages are peppered throughout the Bible. And that's why the Christian exists on the earth. It's God's plan, according to 2 Corinthians 5, that those who have been reconciled to God would now go out into the world and take the message of reconciliation to those who have yet to be reconciled to God. That's his plan. Not just a good idea, it's the plan. It's the plan, and it's why the church exists on earth. And so my encouragement to us today is to consider, to consider how we might engage in the mission, the mission of proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, that we would engage as James calls us to bringing back sinners from their wandering, bringing back sinners from death, because we are sinners that have been saved from death, right? That we would consider our way of living and how we might engage in greater ways in the mission, considering the cost of it, considering the potential difficulties of it, considering that it might not always go well, but also considering that the one who is calling us to this mission has all authority everywhere, and promises to be with us in the mission. Therefore, we, we cannot not succeed in the mission because of who's sending us, right? And so consider that as you walk out these doors. Consider that as you approach your week this week, how God would call you and, and use you to engage in the mission that He's put in front of you. Father, we're thankful today. Thankful that you love us. Thankful um, for all of us, we, we've probably all come to Christ because of somebody who is engaged in the mission, somebody who has proclaimed to us the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you would help us as those who have been reconciled to God, that we would go out into the world and help others become reconciled to you as we engage in the mission that you've given us, that you would help us uh, to count the cost, to consider the difficulty of it, that you would give us what we need, boldness and wisdom and discernment, uh, to do the things that you've called us to do here on this earth as people who are living not for the here and the now, not for this life, but for the life to come. God, help us to have an eternal perspective as we've read about today, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.